So and people are sending you their poop, basically. Yep, we get a lot of poop. We get other things too, but stool is by far the most common. Today on N equals one, we're talking about, yes, that's right, poop. More specifically, what's living in your poop. And before that, in your gut. We'll also hear about re a research initiative called the American Gut Project. I'm Scott Lafee for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. And I'm Heather Bushman. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, and one scientist. Hey Scott, what if I told you you're uh, not as human as you may think you are? I'd say, no way, I mean, I feel pretty human. <laughs> well, so do I, but it turns out that you could say you're only 10% human. The other 90% is made up of all the microbes that live in you and on you, all those bacteria, fungi, viruses, what makes up what we call the microbiome. That's kind of disturbing. What are all those things doing in there? Well, more than just freeloaders, they actually have great influence on our health. So researchers are just starting to realize all the different species and how they may change depending on your lifestyle, your diet, whether or not you're taking antibiotics, and then what kind of effect this balance of different types of microbes can have on your health or risk of different diseases like inflammatory bowel disease, colon cancer, allergies, obesity, even mood, just to name a few. We actually have one of the pioneers in microbiome research here at, at the UC San Diego School of Medicine, Rob Knight. He and his lab discovered a way to extract DNA from human samples from saliva, fecal matter, yes, poop, skin swabs, just about anything, and sequence it to determine exactly which microbial species are living in there, what parts of your body, and how many of each. Can they sequence my microbiome? Absolutely. So kind of like how personal genomics has started to enter the popular vernacular with um, companies being able to, uh, for cheaper and cheaper all the time, sequence your entire genome. The Knight Lab is working on a project called the American Gut Project to sequence the microbiomes, um, especially the gut microbiome, of as many people as possible. In this case, N, the sample number, needs to be much, much greater than one. The more participants, the more sure researchers can be about their findings. And the American Gut Project is actually now the largest crowdsourced, crowdfunded science project in the world. How does the American Gut Project work? Well, I had the exact same question. So earlier this week, I asked a couple of people in Rob Knight's lab to take me on a tour. I'm Embriette Hyde. Um, I'm in the Knight Lab, and my role is project manager for the American Gut Project. Uh, my name is Daniel McDonald, and I'm the former project manager for the American Gut and a uh, postdoc in the Knight Lab. One of the things that we've done um, is to try to get as many people as possible to study a number of different factors that affect the human microbiome. And so um, my boss, Rob Knight, he and a friend of his, Jeff Leach, who is the founder of Human Food Project, were talking, and they, together they co-founded something called the American Gut Project. And what's really cool about it is that it is crowdsourced. So what that means is that participants, they can be general public, they could be other scientists, not even necessarily um, research scientists of all sorts, 
if they want to participate, they can give a contribution. And what they get is some type of result back about what microbial community was present in their sample. And what we get is a large cohort of people that represents a huge amount of research data. Somebody who wants to participate in the American Gut Project, if you're curious about what's living in your gut, what you first do is go to americangut.org. And from the fundraiser page, you can uh, enroll in the project at various different levels of contribution. The basic one is at $99. So you receive a, if you, if you contribute for a single sample, you will receive a kit that contains an instruction packet. And what we'll do is we'll send you a, a uniquely barcoded sample. Um, and instructions for how to collect the sample. The sample itself is a tube with a red cap, and it contains what look like two um, Q-tips inside of it. So if you were collecting, say, a fecal sample, um, what you could do is take this sample and just rub it on a piece of used toilet paper, then put the tube back together and just mail it back to us through USPS. So not only when you mail back those swabs do you send your physical samples, you also complete an extensive questionnaire questionnaire about your lifestyle, your living arrangements, your diet, you know, whether you took antibiotics recently, do you live with a dog, all kinds of things that could affect your microbiome and therefore your health. So a package comes in with people's swabs and their samples and all that, and they're all barcoded. So what's that for? Yeah, so each um, swab will have a barcode on it, and that's really important because one thing that we do is we make all of our data public, but in order to do that, we have to de-identify the data so that there's nothing associated with the data that could identify which person it came from. So the way that internally we're able to keep the samples separated from each other is to barcode each one of them with a, with a unique barcode. And so when the participant receives their swab, there'll be a barcode on it, and then they'll also have login information so they can register their barcode. And then from that point forward, everything associated with that barcode we know belongs to that person. All right, then next up, so you've got all these swabs. How do you get the stuff off of them and get the DNA and figure out what's what? Yeah, so that's the great question. What we do is we have a suite of liquid handling robots that allow us to be able to get the microbial material extracted from the sample in a high throughput way. So what we can do is we can process 96 samples at a time. Um, and for stool, this is really easy because we get a lot of stool in. And so we're often um, processing the, the stool samples that come in. And there's a series of chemical buffers and other things that help get the microbial DNA out of the sample. And it's the robots that will add these buffers and do the mixing. So I assume when they get the sample and there's these multitudes of microorganisms and it's kind of this big mush, so to speak, how did they differentiate and know one microbe is different from another, one bacterium from another? That's actually something that Rob Knight is known for pioneering, and it's called 16S ribosomal RNA. Basically what 16S is, it's a marker gene, it's a ribosomal gene present in all bacteria, and it's a powerful tool because it has conserved regions and variable regions. And so the conserved regions allow us to easily sequence it from all of the bacteria that are in the sample. But the variable regions allow us to identify which specific bacteria those ribosomal genes came from. So it allows us to get a profile of the community, who is there. So what do you say, Scott? Do you think okay. you would get your, your, 
your microbiome sequenced? Yeah, hey, I am sold. I mean, for the sake of science and a little intestinal relief, I'm going to definitely get my microbiome sequenced. But what are some of the interesting facts they've actually found so far? A couple of things. One of the, th one of the uh, initial associations they're starting to pull out of all this data that, well, I think is a personal favorite of the um, postdocs and graduate students working in the lab is an association with alcohol consumption. I'll let Embria explain. With one of the things that we like to joke about um, that's been really funny is that we've noticed that um, bacterial diversity, so the number of different um, species that you may have in your gut, usually higher diversity is a good thing. In most cases, it's associated with health. There's only been a handful or less than a handful of diseases so far that have been associated with increased diversity. So usually increased diversity is good. And one thing we've noticed is that diversity increases with alcohol intake. <laughs> so, you know, we have to be careful with that because people are going to say, oh, yeah, if I'm a drunk, you know, I'm healthy. <laughs> it's good for my microbiome. But we like to make the joke, you know. It, it, and, and we know that, for example, we've known for a while that a glass of wine a day is good for heart health or, you know, a glass of beer a day is good for, for other things. So it's not too surprising that it could be healthy for the microbiome too. But again, it's just a trend. Uh, we don't know for sure what it means or if anything, um, but that was one thing that was kind of cool that we were able to tease out from the data. Another interesting thing they're finding is, well, you're, if you're like me, your parents have always tried to tell you to eat your vegetables and they're good for you, but why? Why is that? Why are vegetables good for you? To answer that, here's Daniel. Right, but I don't think the medical community really had a, a great handle, and I, I could be uh, going out on a limb by saying the medical community didn't have a great handle on this, but my background is entirely computational. So, but I don't think we had a really good handle on why fruits and vegetables were so great. Um, and one of the reasons that we're, um, uh, that is potentially coming out from the, the microbiome work is the, uh, the organisms or a large number of the organisms in your gut rely on the insoluble fibers that fruits and vegetables provide. And so if you're eating fruits and vegetables regularly, these organisms then have substrate that they can ferment so you're feeding your microbes and once you feed your microbes they can produce a whole lot of beneficial byproducts uh, one in particular is called butyrate which is a short chain fatty acid and this uh, particular short chain fatty acid is actually food for your epithelial cells so you can begin to see how there's this connection where if you're not feeding your microbes your microbes are not getting the food that they need so they might not be producing all of the products that our body actually needs um, and you might end up in a situation where you're epithelial cells that line your gastrointestinal tract are not as happy as they should be. Um, and this can be associated with things like inflammation. Well, so like all of science, we're getting some mixed results here. You're telling me I can go home, drink a <laughs> glass of beer, but I also have to eat broccoli. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But So what, where does all this lead, though? I mean, does it lead to better disease diagnostics or treatments? Well, that's the hope. So... The scientists I talked to gave me one really clear example that's already being used in medical practice, and that is for a really devastating disease called C. diff, or C. diff for short. It's actually Clostridium difficile, and that's the name of a particularly insidious bacterium. Basically, just wipes out your GI tract. It takes over, um, and people who suffer from this have horrible diarrhea, they're sick, you know, they're going to the bathroom a number of times a day, times per day, and the treatment for it, it's kind of funny because it, 
actually makes it worse, those antibiotics. You target it with antibiotics, but what happens is the antibiotics target the normal bacteria that are present in your gut that could fight this organism. So basically what you've done is you've just wiped out your battlefield and made this really great fertile breeding ground for this species that makes you sick. Some of these people suffer for years, and so based on the fact that we know that the antibiotics are wiping out the normal bacteria, somebody had an idea that what if we, instead of using antibiotics, treat with normal bacteria? So what they're finding now for some C. diff infections is that a fecal transplant uh, does a much better job of helping patients clear the infection and get back to normal. What are we talking about on fecal transplants? Uh, moving poop from one person to another, literally. It turns out that it may be that people with a C. diff infection who just can't get rid of this infection just need a better, stronger microbiome. And we can actually take that from someone else through their fecal matter and give it to the person with an infection. Um, so a fecal transplant, exactly what it sounds like. And what we found is that the fecal transplant in the, in the few people that's been given to has been incredibly um, successful. Usually with one treatment, they return to normal and their symptoms are alleviated. But if you think about it, after years of suffering, going to the bathroom, diarrhea, sick, every day of your life, suddenly you have this relief and freedom. You know, it's, it's amazing. In clinical trials for this type of microbiome therapy, the fecal transplant therapy was so much better than the standard antibiotic treatment, they actually had to just end the trial short because it was unethical to not give the control group this fecal transplant therapy. So what does our gut tell us? More and more every day. What Daniel says is... For medical applications, um, what, I'm, what I'm hoping to see is at the minimum... Um, maybe not the minimum. What I'm hoping to see is uh, the ability to um, use microbial composition to uh, give insight into the likelihood of a disease. Um, and so what I mean by that is if you go to the doctor and they collect a fecal swab, it would be incredible if they could do, um, you know, run an assay and say, you know, you potentially have, say, uh, this particular subtype of Crohn's disease. So not only that, but Rob Knight, the, the microbiome pioneer I told you about earlier, has told me that he sees a future where we all have smart toilets that send a microbiome readout to our smartphones every time we flush, complete with analysis and advice on how to tweak your diet and lifestyle to get or stay healthy. So how cool is that? That is, that is totally cool, and I can't think of a better note to end this on than the notion of smart toilets. Thanks, Heather. No problem. To learn more or get involved in this project, visit AmericanGut.org.